morning, Rock Harbor. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. We are on page 41 in our study guides. Talking about Solomon's wisdom this morning. We most definitely live in a society today that needs more wisdom. Amen. And I don't know if it's if so much as is, is the volume is what we need as much as we need just people using it. It's there. It's accessible. Wisdom's there for people to use. God's given wisdom. I mean, it's kind of like a generality just in our world. I mean, the, there's wisdom there to be used, but there's a lot of people not using it today. Um, I know that we all make mistakes, and we're all prone to make mistakes. But wisdom is, is something that you and I should be praying for on a daily basis. Yeah. It should be in, engrafted into our prayers. It should be something that we're asking God for. Not just in situations where, where, where we come up against something and, and, and then we access God. And we're like, God, give me wisdom to get through this. <clears throat> that's good and that's fine. But we need wisdom every day. Amen. It seems more and more often that we're being faced with decisions uh, that are abnormal. We're being put in situations that are forcing our hand and we're having to make decisions we're not used to. Anyone been there lately other than me? Man. It's like, man, what do I do about this and what do I do about that? And what about this issue? And who am I going to vote for in the next election? <laughs> and all these other crazy things. And it's a wisdom issue. Because the, the alternative to that, you got to think about this. The alternative to that is to do something based on your emotion, how you feel. And we all know where that goes. And we're all used to and hardwired for that. So we make decisions based on emotion. Where does that usually land us? When you're angry and you make a snap decision, don't you usually regret that decision? Yeah. Or we're, on, on, a, we're on, a, on a high and we make a series of decisions and we think, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I would have just stepped back for a minute, thought about what I was about to do, and, and used a little bit of wisdom. And so you got to think about that. If, if, we're, if we're doing something uh, al uh, an alternate to wisdom, if we're not asking for wisdom, we could be operating in emotion. We could be making decisions based on how we feel. And that's going to be a roller coaster. Because how I, I mean, I'm just being honest here. How I feel is up and down, up down you not feel the same way Amen. you wake up one morning it's not the best morning we feel bad oh, I don't know about today I don't know about this week I don't know about this month or this year <laughs> or we wake up and we feel fantastic it's easy to make good decisions when we're feeling good but it's not so much when we're not feeling so good Amen. so wisdom comes into play and so we're talking we're on page 41 and, and we're talking about Solomon's wisdom here and some of the things that, that he experienced, and, and we're drawing some lines this morning from Solomon's time uh, and Solomon's experiences to what we deal with today. The central truth is that the pursuit of godly wisdom invites God's favor. The pursuit of godly wisdom invites God's favor. Why? Because he's the author of that wisdom. So by seeking godly wisdom in this sense... You are seeking God's ways. You're saying, you're literally saying, my knowledge is insufficient. 
what I think is not good enough. You have the realization that your emotions and your feelings usually land you in a place that you don't want to be. And so by seeking godly wisdom, we're seeking God himself, recognizing he's the author of all of those things. I, I know that, you know, go back to what I said before, we've all, uh, we've all made decisions that we wish we wouldn't have made. You ever went back and when you analyzed that, you thought, I should have prayed about that. Amen. You ever done that before? I didn't even pray about that. I didn't even bring that before God. I just, it felt good in the moment. I was certain because I was feeling so good, this must be the way that God wants me to go. I always think it's funny how we connect sometimes God's will to how good we feel. Pleasurable things directly attached to God's will. It's almost like, it's, and it's like there's never enough. It's like it's God's will for me to have more money. It's God's will for me to have more pleasure. It's God's will for me to have uh, bigger this and bigger that and more of this and more of that. And I, th I thought about that. And I meditated on that. And I thought, you know, that's interesting because I've never seen anybody find a stopping point. No one ever finds a stopping point. Because wisdom says you're good. You might want to leave that alone. But feelings says that was nice. Let's do it again. And the next time, let's make it bigger. And the next time, let's get more of it. You see what I'm saying? So if we don't have or if we're not using wisdom, there's a chance that we're allowing ourselves to partake in and engage in things that are an endless cycle. It's, you know, I always use our culture, and our culture is plentiful in just about anything that you can get your hands on. Do you agree? A lot of it, you know, good things, some of it perverted, some of it not so good. And I, I just have never seen a Christian come to the conclusion that what they have is enough. It's like, I'm stopping. I'm good. I'm content. We call that contentment. <clears throat> Wisdom has a place where you're, you stop and you say, that's good. That's where I want to stay. But when we take wisdom, we move, move it to the side, and we have emotions, and we have feelings, and we start making decisions on how we feel, we usually don't find an end to that. It just keeps going over and over again. So consider that when we're talking about this today. Um, under Let's Get Started, it says, After a rather tumultuous and contested ascent to the throne, Solomon began his reign by offering sacrifices and worship to God. He recognized that it was through God's promise that he was ruling the land of Israel in place of his father, David. He got off on the right foot, right? He got off on the right foot because he was offering sacrifices, and this was proper, and this was good. Then God himself appeared to Solomon in a dream to invite him to request whatever he wished. Solomon's response, a request for wisdom, brought him and the nation of Israel great success. The story of Solomon's reign begins with a very important statement. Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. 2 Chronicles 1.1 In King Solomon, we find an excellent example of how one's life is impacted in tangible ways by the presence of God as that person seeks God, then surrenders to his will. Um, I'll never fail to mention this, especially when the lesson brings it out. And then the lesson is pointing out something here. I want to read it again. He says that we find an excellent example of how one's life is impacted in tangible ways. Tangibility is very important in your spiritual walk. Making wise decisions equal tangible things happening. It's like, 
We'll come back to the old example. It's like if you want a job and you're praying for a job, then go look for the job. That's tangibility. It's like you go out, you fill out the application, and you go, how many people have you run across? How many times have you been uh, dealing with somebody that said, I'm just believing God to move? I'm believing God to do this for me. I said, okay, so what are you doing about it? Nothing. I'm just believing. I got faith. Oh, man, you're going to be the altar in a week. Why? Because you're frustrated. We're thinking that I can believe and make God's hand move, and it's going to equal what I want. Now, that sounds good. It almost sounds like heresy not to believe it. But see, there's a missing piece to that, and that's faith without works is dead. So what's the missing component? The missing component is the wisdom that God has given me to operate in. So I've got a responsibility in the, in, the, in the game, so to speak. A responsibility to make good decisions. A responsibility to fill out that application. A responsibility to, um, to strive to have a better marriage. To strive to have better relationships with my children. Uh, when with the people around me. Strive uh, that when I feel the emotion of anger, not to respond and to act out in that anger. I, I've, I've prayed the prayer before, church. I have. I've prayed this prayer. So God, take the anger away from me. Anyone ever pray that prayer before? Take the anger away, take the pain away or whatever it is, and I'm not knocking that prayer. But what I found over the years is that that usually results when you are praying is an expectation, and you're, it's almost like we're still waiting. It's like God is, I'm believing he's going to take it away. Or is it that we're going to have to work through it? Give me the wisdom that when I feel that emotion of anger arise, that I can control that. Control it. Not necessarily whisk it away. That would be great. But I would, I would venture to say that in most, most cases, that doesn't happen. A lot of times we, you know, we're, we're used to, especially in the Pentecostal realm, we're used to the old stories and hearing people about deliverances and things of that nature. Now, when I was getting older and I started to notice a theme in this is that I I've seen people healed before I've seen it take place I've witnessed miracles before a lot more then than now but there's something different even about now than then and one of the most valuable things that I'm experiencing now is the tangibility of the word and the wisdom of the word and the way that we should be operating that we weren't operating then God telling us and dealing with his children to say hey make smart moves Make a good move with your money. Make smart moves with your health. Make smart moves instead of just saying, God, just take it all away. Just whisk it away. I've got faith that God is just going to take that away from me. Well, I appreciate your faith, but let me ask you this question. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about your health? What are you doing about um, pursuing and getting closer to God? Because there's that missing component. God's going to do, he's going to answer on his part, right? We know that. He always is faithful. But the missing component is us. It's what we're doing. And are we cheating ourselves out of it? I'm always reminded of uh, uh, the story of old man Kenneth Hagin. He had a prayer line going one night. And if you're not familiar with his ministry, he prayed over a lot of people. And there were a lot of people healed in his ministry. And he said, uh, there was a lady that had come down and she wanted healing. And he talked to her for a little bit and he said the Lord had revealed to him that there was something else going on in her life that was preventing the healing. He was like, there's, some, there's something else not right here. 
Well, to make a long story short, she was addicted to Cokes. And he said, you don't need a healing. You need to quit drinking Coke. Amen. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, it makes, actually, it makes perfect sense. That's tangible. That's tangibility. It's, it's being able to see that, use wisdom. It's like, I need to stop that. And it's going to equal healing. And she got her healing. She got what she needed from God. God blessed her life, and she was able to put those things away. So when you look at it from that angle, it makes me start looking across my life and start questioning maybe some of the things that I've been asking God for are things that I need to personally take care of myself. Does that make sense? It's like lift your hand up and put it out there, touch it, and do something about it. You had your hand up. I'm sorry. It's all right. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me earlier was that he, re he recognized. So mm -hmm. Solomon saw what had happened. Right. He realized it was a promise from God, and he did the appropriate action that he needed to do to thank him for it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Praise. about that in my own yeah. own life. It's like how many times has God worked, maybe worked out something at work where it's like the whole day just flowed perfectly, and it's like He set it up for me. And it's like, look, I did that. And it's like a lot of times or whatever it is He may have done to bless you that day. Mm -hmm. And how many times? Oh, thanks, God, and just kind of blow it off. But do right. we actually give Him the praise and adoration? And it's like stop for a second. We're like, thank you, right. thank you. I realize what you did there. Thank you very right. much. I do appreciate that. Yeah. I want you to know that Absolutely. I Absolutely. And how many times do I do that in my life or just blow it off? Yeah. That's a major step, being able to worship him and thank him for what he's doing, even that small yeah. thing. It's like, I can see you working. Okay. According to 1 Kings 10, 23 through 24, Solomon was richer than any other king on the earth. And people all over the world wanted to meet him. Yet Solomon recognized that wealth and fame were not enough. He desired a much greater gift from God. That doesn't mean... And before we read the scriptures, that, that's not inferring that he was somehow unsatisfied with what he had. It's not the reference. He's, he's inferring here that he was overwhelmed. He had more on his plate than he knew what to do with. And so he needed something in order to, so he could have to manage what he had been given. And we're going to make a good point on that here in just a minute. So let's look at our scriptures, page 42. Haley, go ahead. First Kings 35. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your chosen, your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord is pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. 
When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Thank you. Section 1, Solomon asked for wisdom. At this time in his life, Solomon was careful and devout in his love for the Lord, which compelled him to follow God's commands. Indeed, loving God and acting upon that love with obedience is a strong theme in the Old Testament when a person seeks to honor God. <clears throat> One thing I want to point out here as we get into this lesson is the, the truth that's really locked up in this sentence here when he says, Indeed, loving God and acting upon that love with obedience is a strong theme in the Old Testament, and it's still a strong theme, if not a stronger theme, theme in the New Testament, that following God and his commands is based on love, right? It's based on our love for him. We fall in love with him, and then we want to follow his commands. They go hand in hand. The thing that I, I want to caution you with and it, it's a belief that's starting to and has gained and garnered momentum in, in our culture is that God is a God who who gives and God is a God who prospers and God is a God who, who has all of these things over here in his area and he'll give you all of those things if you'll get saved. It's funny how over the years that salvation has been watered down. It's been devalued. It's been taken away from and People have condensed this into a couple words. And they say, well, if you just say this and this, and then you can be saved and everything's good. And God will, will bless you richly. God is a blessing God, but he's a lot more than just somebody who gives you things. And so I come back to that. And it's like that's really the, the centerpiece and the crux of our whole life is our love for him and his love for us. And that when you develop a relationship with him, things actually get smaller, not larger. Loving him and being following his commands and doing the things that God has for you, it, it doesn't drive you farther into the world and for things. It takes you away from them. And you have, you have a, uh, a less of an attachment. And really, and I'm not going to get into to the whole freedom aspect of it, but that's really the, the defining characteristic of the freedom that you and I have is that I've been freed from all of those things. I've been freed from sin. I've been freed from the bondage of sin. Nothing's holding on to me. I've been freed from uh, the materialistic uh, stickiness of our culture that constantly throws things at us, correct? Making us believe that we have to take another step and get something else. Otherwise, we're not doing it the right way. It's, it all comes back down to the way that he has loved us and then the way we love him. Never forget that. It's, it's a, it's, it has everything to do with love, and then we want to honor him because of that love. What follows in 1 Kings 3, 5 through 9, then is not entirely surprising. Solomon had just offered sacrifices to God. In a dream, God said he would grant Solomon whatever he asked for. What a dream that would be. <laughs> That's a dream. Certainly, we might expect a new king to ask for military success or prosperity for the nation. But Solomon recalled the many times God had come to the aid of his father. I actually, when I've read this story, and you all are familiar with the story. If you're saved and you spend any time at church, you're familiar with the story. When I hear this story, I actually wouldn't have blamed him for asking for those things. I know sometimes we look at it black and white, but I've actually tried to look at that, and I thought, you know what? I, don't, I wouldn't blame him. He's the king of, of a country, and he wants the, the, the good for the people. 
if he would have asked for uh, victory on the battlefield. That's not such a bad thing to ask for as a king. If he would have asked for prosperity, for things to move well uh, economically, that's not a bad thing to ask for as a king. I thought those were, those were not, because a lot of times we put those in categories. We thought, oh, yeah, you know, wisdom, because you know the end of the story thing. Wisdom was the valuable thing. Those are the, those are the things that are, are not any good at all. No, these, those were good things to ask for as a king for the heart of your nation. You got you to understand that. But he even put that to the side and thought, you know, I'm overwhelmed here. God has really given me a lot to be accountable for and to be responsible for. I'm going to need something to manage this. Something to be able to keep moving the people to the heart of God. That's important. Having a good justice system is important. This is what he was asking for by asking for wisdom. I want you to understand that. He knew that. He's like, I don't know. I'm going to need some help governing these people. The word govern is in there governing these people and pushing them in the right direction. If we have all the money in the world, what's that going to matter if we don't know how to use it? What's it going to matter if we have the victory on the battlefield if we don't know how to manage the country itself? So there was a lot into him asking this, and I want to make sure that, that we understand that those things that were on the table that he could have asked for, he laid those to the side, even though those were important for a country. He knew that there was something even more valuable than that. Solomon recognized that he was young and inexperienced, so he asked God for what he needed. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> that's, that's something we desperately need today, knowing the difference between right and wrong. Um, something started, and I want to say that I want to say that it started in, it started way before that. But it started in 2020 with the whole COVID run. And it seemed like our nation got split into multiple sectors and all these different ideas about what was right and what was wrong. And that's actually when I started to see the, the real push for it and, and the, the, the division that began to happen in our nation. And I noticed that the, at the center of it was the, the dysfunction or the the realization of what truth really was. Nobody really knew anymore. Nobody really knew what the right direction to go was. Everything was subjective. And it's funny because that's carried on till now. Now it's, now it's a new topic. But subjectiveness is still at the root. It's like now there is no truth. Now there is, but in our country it's like everything is now just whatever you think. If you feel like that, and it's true. See, that's subjectivity. There's, no, there's less and less objectivity in our nation now than I've ever seen. In the years that I've been on this earth, there is not a standard of truth that people are operating, a morality where people understand, okay, that's a line and you don't cross it. And it's beginning to creep inside the church where the very people that actually set that kind of tone in standard in the nation are even second-guessing everything themselves. And so if, if, that's, if that's what's going on, you and I have to make sure that we come back to the very thing that got us to where we are today, which is the wisdom of God. And it's his truths. And those things don't change. But have you noticed that there's a war over 
What does that really mean, though? You notice that war? It's a war over, well, I think it means this, and I think that means that. There's a war. And as long as there's a war and as long as there's doubt, there will never be a solid direction on where to go. I'm not giving the enemy credit at all. I would never give him credit. But that's some kind of game plan. you got to realize yourself if you've fallen into that. Well, we start even second-guessing what we do. It's like, like we second-guess everything and think twice about it. Think We're double-thinking. And ultimately, we become double-minded. What's the Bible say about those who are double-minded? We're tossed. And, I, and our nation is in a state right now where we're being tossed. Tossed around everywhere. No one really knows what the truth is anymore. The truth is still in the Word of God. Amen. Still exists there. Sometimes we need to make sure that you and I don't have an opinion that is so strong and so high that it even usurps the truth of God's word. I've seen this recently. I've seen this in debates. And I'm thinking, it's right there. It's right there. It says it right there. This is what the Greek says. This is how it interprets it. But for some reason, they don't believe it no more. The church has got to be the ones who believe what God says. And be solid on that. Amen. Be structured on that. You structure your life around God's mm-hmm. truths. We structure our lives around what we know the direction that God has pointed us in, and we stand beside that. There, there cannot be anything worse for a society, and I'm talking about even in a historical sense, if you look back on that, in the influence of the church in that society. There can't be anything worse than the church becoming wishy-washy on what truth is. Oh, you can just forget about having any kind of prosperity or success as a nation. Because if the church can't get their act together, nobody will. If the church doesn't know what truth and morality is, then nobody will. And so going back to our forefathers and the founders of this nation and the things that they believed and that they looked at and that we pivoted off of that and formed this great country, church, this thing is falling apart every day. But judgment begins in the house of God, and I believe it's the church's responsibility to pick that thing up and begin to move it forward. So... Uh, the phrase, um, yeah, the phrase translated understanding heart literally refers to a hearing mind. Using the same word found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, where it is translated here, it implies a spiritual understanding. Govern speaks to the practical nature of Solomon's responsibilities to oversee the nation's daily needs, settle disputes between citizens, and protect the nation from the enemies. Those are practical things, right? Amen. He understood that. He knew that. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same thing for us today. I'm drawing this line directly. He said they use the word govern here. That's what he needed, the ability to govern these people. You need the wisdom to govern your own life. Amen. Amen. In the culture we live in today, you need the wisdom to govern your own life. And so what does that consist of? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. He said his responsibilities were to oversee the nation's daily needs. You have daily needs, Right. You have decisions that you have to make. You have things that pop up, and you need wisdom. It said, um, settle disputes between citizens. You need wisdom to not fight with your spouse. (laughs) You think, oh, man, that's crazy. No. Well, let's look at that for just a minute. Think about about how important, how important is, we've agreed that the church is important in society, correct? We all agree with that. But if the marriages within the church aren't strong, then we're still missing a point. 
Because the marriages are the reflection of God's strength for family, and that reflects to a nation who is losing their grip on that. Amen. Come on. So, so it's, it's being able to use wisdom to settle disputes quickly. Uh, maybe, maybe the husband or the wife, maybe they need to swallow some pride and get some things out of the way so that relationship can flourish. I'm talking, listen, church, I'm talking about tangible things. I'm talking about things that move things along. Because sometimes marriages grow stagnant because things aren't resolved, and we think, well, it's not important. Oh, it is very important. It is very important that God's people thrive, not just survive. All right, so he said dispute between the citizens and protect the nation from enemies. I've said this before. Pastor said this before. Um, I've seen some statistics lately on this, and I've listened to a debate recently, and I thought this was a really good, and I'm not going to get into what they said in the debate, but the debate was very good, and it was talking about how the church has literally wrote its own script by disconnecting from everything around them. It's almost like the church is saying now, and I, this, is, this is good, the church is saying now, I don't really want to be involved in all of those things, and we formed a circle, like almost like a safe zone, and it's like, if you want to, you come in here, and we'll, we'll be safe in the safe zone. We're all waiting for Jesus to return. He's going to come back at any moment, and we're all going to be whisked away from all of this mess. Now, see, I say that quickly, and you think, yeah, that's right, though, right? No, what's happened is, is the church is disengaged and detached itself from society when the church used to be involved in society, where the church was actually making an impact, where the church was not afraid to stand up and say, hey, this is what morality is. This is what this is the direction we're supposed to go. The churches sat down on that and they become silent or they become confused about what that truth really is or what morality is. And so what happens is, is that now the church is starting to develop this attitude or this mentality that I don't really want to get involved in all of that mess. I don't really want to be involved in society or I don't want to I don't want to have children. I don't want to bring children into this mess. I don't want to I don't want to bring, uh, bring someone in to have to deal with all this. Somebody's going to have to do it. And if you let them do it, they're not going to do it the natural way. Uh-huh. It's, it's getting so perverted and weird and crazy. But see, there's a temptation. There's a temptation for the church. And that temptation is, let's just leave these crazy people alone and let them just fall apart. We'll come over here, we'll form a little circle, and if y'all want to be a part of us, you're welcome to come in. But we're not going to have anything to do with that anymore. Now, when I say that, it sounds like, man, Tanner, that don't sound right. No, what I'm saying is, is that I still encourage you. I want you to start businesses in this society. I want you to have children in this society. I want us to continue to be involved and be a part of these things, because if we're not, this thing is going to come crashing down. The society needs Christians to be involved in it. Not running from it. Not saying, oh, this is detestable. Yes, it's detestable. But if you and I aren't standing our ground, then where's the thing going to end up? If there aren't Christian people running businesses and doing business and, and pushing for a healthy economy, then what's, what's left? It's going to be deceit. It's going to be lies. There's got to be a standard, and it's going to be God's people that's going to have to bring it. And in doing that, uh, Brother Whalen mentioned it this morning in the prayer, like we need boldness. We have to be bold. 
to stand for what God says and, and use that boldness tied with wisdom yeah. on how to bring it to the people that are living in this world with whatever sin they may be dealing with in their lives mm-hmm. and to be okay with getting our feelings hurt because personally we're probably going to get our feelings hurt for what we believe but we have to <laughs> use the wisdom to know that we just planted that seed and I used to be that person on the other side that uh, needs that wisdom of God yeah. and to be okay with getting my feelings hurt knowing that I have that I will be I don't know fixed or or God will console me whatever way I need to Mm -hmm. and get my feelings and emotions out of the way. Yeah. And and I want to go back to, that's a good comment. Um, I want to go back to, you know, what I meant by writing your own script is, is that if the church, if the church is supposed to be involved and supposed to be in there and then you look at it and you see it getting worse and you think, well, see, it's getting worse. Well, we kind of did it to ourselves because we're the ones that we're pulling out of it. And we're like, well, just leave it to the We'll leave it to the crazies to deal with it. That's you understand that attitude is not a good attitude to have. We we've got to be involved and we got to be in it. Not being uh, how do I say it? We are uh, we don't have to be engaged in what they're doing. We need to be engaged in what God is doing, but we still have to live on this earth. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, brother, I'll tell you a place in the Bible where it says separate yourself from them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, you can uh, you can testify to them, but if they already told you, you know, this is the way it is for me, and uh, ain't nothing <laughs> you're going to do about it, you know. Sure. That, that way you separate yourself from them. Right. You don't, you don't uh, go around them. You don't talk to them. I mean, it, it's all right to speak to them. Well, it's you, more of a spiritual line, too. It's, it's just knowing that it, it's, it's knowing that we're the, not going to... We're not going to engage in sinful acts anymore in our life. We're striving for we had a different standard. Talking about Solomon's talking about yeah, you know, give him that he can know Mm -hmm. right. Right, very good. Knowing the difference between right and wrong encompassed both the practical and the spiritual. Israel's security hinged upon their right relationship with God, and Solomon himself would remain in close relationship with God if he lived in obedience. That's very important. You do understand that right obedience. You live in close proximity with God. If you're living in obedience, it's not an equation to be worked out. It's not an equation. It's not, I say this, you pray this, equals this. No, it's all about love and obedience. Remember that. So written centuries later, as the people return from exile, Second Chronicles focuses on God's covenant faithfulness, reminding his people that he would again restore them. Note a slight difference in the wording of the, re- of the request between 1 Kings 3.9, where Solomon asked for understanding in 2 Chronicles 1.10, which records him asking for wisdom. Based on history, the chronicler notes that Solomon sought godly wisdom. Wisdom can refer to a practical skill, but it is usually more focused on intellect and character. Wise men and women are able to discern what is happening around them as well as the proper way to respond. In the end, spiritual wisdom leads to spiritual growth, right? right? Spiritual wisdom leads to spiritual growth. It's like wisdom says if you have a problem with something or if, you have, if you've been struggling with an addiction or if you struggle with uh, whatever it is, wisdom says keep your hand off of it, right? Don't go around it, don't mess with it, don't engage in it, have nothing to do with it. That's what wisdom says. But what I often see is that people still touch it and still play with it and still get around it but want God's deliverance. That just, church, that just doesn't add up. 
It's like we're, we're not willing to make a sacrifice ourselves. We put it all on him and say, you do it. And when you do it, then I'll get away from it. Wisdom says, stop touching it. Wisdom says, I probably should not go in there. I probably shouldn't engage in that. I probably shouldn't uh, get around this individual because they like to gossip a lot and they like to say a lot of things that are not good. It's wisdom. That's wisdom at work. Thinking. Thinking. Practical Christianity. Okay. Section 2, God gives wisdom and more. God's response to Solomon's request tells us much about his relationship with his people, including us. Solomon naturally desired for his nation to prosper. Sure he did. No different than us, right? You want to prosper? Everybody wants to prosper. God's answer in 2 Chronicles 1, 11-13 demonstrated that he often gives his people more than they ask or imagine. Solomon wanted to help his people. So God made him and the nation rich beyond their comprehension. And so you remember the story. He said, he said uh, you know, what do you, what do you want? I'm generalizing this. And he said, I want wisdom to govern the people that you've given me. And God liked this so much, he said, I like your, an- I like your, your answer. I'm going to give you everything else that you could have asked for on top of that wisdom, which if you look back historically and actually look at what he had, and it's going to explain some of this here in section two, the economy that he had because what God did there, when he said, I'm going to give you those riches, I mean, they were like the centerpiece of all trade. And, and if you were a city or a country that was the centerpiece of trade where there were import and export, then you were mad rich. You had a lot of things going on. He was enormously rich, not just because they had gold and silver or, or things of, of that nature, but the economy. Now let's draw a line. Look at what has formed over the last 50 years in America. America was and has been the focal point for trade, right? You think, well, no, not necessarily. There's it seems like we get everything from China. Well, trade has a lot to do with a lot of things, but one thing to remember and that we're seeing change is the fiat dollar. The dollar has been a, a recognized worldwide as the thing to use when it comes to currency. How do you think that came about? It came about from God. God made us the centerpiece for that trade. Now, that's quickly changing. I don't know if you know but in trade recently, countries are kicking the dollar out. They're not using the dollar. They don't want it to be an exchange anymore with the dollar because the dollar's getting weak. And so they don't have anything to do with it. That's not good news for us. Now, I'm not spelling doom, and I'm not trying to tell you what I think is going to happen. But what was once very prosperous for us as a nation is quickly getting weak. And I wonder what that's connected with. I wonder why we were so strong. And now things are getting weaker. You think it has something to do with sin? Amen. Think it has something to do with morality? I mean, we've got, there's stuff that goes on. I said this before. You can look it up yourself. There are things that we allow in this country that other countries dub as being illegal, and they'll kill you for it. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that's the right answer, but I'm telling you, there are things that they allow here that if you were to take that to somewhere else, they'd arrest you like that. It's like, no, you cannot, you can't do that. That's not good. That ought to let you know where our countries come from and where it's headed. It's not, it's, that's not a good thing for us. Okay, so verse 14 describes uh, the forces Solomon uh, accrued. 
The cities were well fortified in a strategic area, bringing security to the nation. Verses 15 through 17 describe Solomon's great wealth. The terrain about, uh, around Jerusalem is rocky and provided an image to illustrate the abundance of gold and silver. Cedar was rare and needed to be imported, so a plentiful supply indicated great wealth. Verses 16 and 17 highlight Solomon's wise utilization of Israel's uh, strategic location. And a land bridge between the great kingdoms of Africa, Asia, and Europe, the nation was strongly positioned for trade and taxation. Horses from Egypt were prized, and Solomon was able to amass large numbers of them for trade using the rich pasture land of the region. God had given Solomon wisdom to amass wealth, which in turn blessed the nation of Israel and enabled it to become an important entity in the region. God used the gift of wisdom to enable his people to bring him glory and further his plans because it's always, always about him and not about us. Amen. Amen. Anything that we've amassed or accrued to any degree is to turn around and give glory back to God. That it's, all for, it's all from him for him. I mean, you think about your life, and our life is very short. We're only going to be here for a little while. And, and it's great to take scriptures and, and to say, well, you know, I'm saving up a, I save up a, a, a wealth, to, an inheritance to pass on to my children. That's great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I would much rather pass on an inheritance of salvation. Amen. That my children know and fear the Lord. That's the inheritance that I want them to have. You fear the Lord more than anything. Because if I give them money and they don't know the Lord, well, you're going to spend the money anyway. <laughs> you're going to do something else that you probably shouldn't do. So wisdom, wisdom, think about this. This wisdom is so important in our lives and the way that we govern ourselves and the way that we govern our families and our children. It's very important to be able to govern properly the things that God has given to us and then turn around and give God all the worship and praise back to him. So God was pleased with Solomon's choice of a request which reflected thoughtfulness and humility. And God did, in fact, provide wisdom and understanding to govern with justice. While this refers to an ability to discern a just outcome, it also carries a deeper meaning. Solomon would need to continually seek God's direction and not rely on his own understanding. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Someone weigh in on that. What do you think? Why, why, do you, why is it important to constantly seek God's direction and to stay away from your own understanding. Why do you think that's important? Because seasons in your life change. So something that might have been relevant at one point and got you through and it was a good season, when something else comes along, it might not be, it's still valuable, but you still need to grow and learn to be able to get through the next season. Could, could we safely say that things change? Absolutely. Things change. We need God to help us through those changes. Because my desires and his desires don't always line up. It should, but this flesh. I'm going to say they never line up yeah, for me. Yeah, the, the, the flesh is, is squishy and dumb sometimes, yep. and it doesn't like doing what the Lord wants it to do okay. sometimes, and you have to discipline it to do it. Yes, that's good. What else? Anything else? Throw something. Kind of goes back to those four little words in the B-words. You talked about that nation that's getting the dollar kicked around now. Mm -hmm. Let's get those four little bitty words on there. It has a lot to do with it, and God we trust. Yes. Yes, I agree. That's very good. That very good. Okay. Yep. Any, anyone else want to weigh in on it? So, Solomon would need to ask for this wisdom. It says, furthermore, the blessing of a long life was contingent upon seeking and obeying God. That's, what did it say there? The blessing of a long life was contingent 
upon seeking and obeying God. God's blessings always exist within a relationship. Remember, not formulistic. Not you can't you cannot actually get God's blessings and just say I met him once. Because that's what that is a lot of times for a lot of people. It's it's not actually a relationship that's active and, and thriving. It's I met him once. When did you meet him? I met him when I was nine. Hadn't prayed a lot since then. But I went through the process and I'm good. Obviously, see what happens there is that we get to thinking that the ritualistic steps is what brings us into a relationship with God. It's about loving him, obeying him. It's something that's every single day, right? It goes back to kind of like what, what uh, Sean was saying. Our flesh does not desire to do God's will. And I think that sounds, that sounds hard, but the quicker you can get a hold of that and accept it, I think the better off we'll be. We need to accept that your flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Your spirit does. Your spirit recognizes that it was created by him. That's where, that's where the Holy Spirit's able to convict you. You, under, you understand that? The art of conviction. That's how you're convicted is that God deals with the, the part of you, inside of you, that he communicates with, the soul of a man, of a woman. That's where the conviction comes from. The soul wants to go back to its creator. The flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with it. The flesh is, is uh, undisciplined. And so if we fall into that, then we have to discipline this flesh, get it, pull it back where it needs to be. All right, so the health of our relationship with God impacts the reality of his blessings. You are very, very blessed to live in a nation that allows you to do what you're doing right now. Amen. Amen. You all made a choice to be here this morning, right? The God has worked through years of lawmaking and freedoms and different rights that you and I have to allow you to make the decision to get up this morning and come out here and have church. That's a precious, precious thing that you and I are exercising this morning. We also live in a country, because of its wealth and because of the way things were set up, that you're going to go to your job tomorrow and go make money. Amen. Do you realize how amazingly privileged that we are? And that if it's not enough, you can make more than that. Do you know that there are places out there right now that regulate your income? No, you're not only allowed to make X amount. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine them saying, uh, you're allowed 25000 a year. That's it. You're going to work here. No, you don't get to choose. You're going to work here. And you're going to make X amount, and that's the way your life is going to be. Can you imagine living in that life? We've been given an enormous privilege. And we, we live in it and have lived in it for so long, we don't even realize that it's even there. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've seen so much lost in our history and the young people today don't realize where, why they're given so many great privileges. They don't understand it. That's why it's so important for God's people to keep speaking it and to keep telling people about it, that this is where we came from. Um, on another note, I don't want to live in a socialistic country. I hope everybody says amen to that. Amen. I don't want to live in a socialistic country. But if you and I don't get a hold of what's going on, they're taking us there. They're trying desperately to get us there. It's not a place to, listen, I know it's good now. You do not want to live in that kind of environment. You don't. And I'm not, once again, I'm not going to harp on that. I'm just telling you, we've got to make sure that we make the right decisions going forward. 
So Solomon awakened, realizing God had granted his request by way of a dream. He immediately sought out a place of worship and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So how did he start? He started out with worship, remember? He has the dream, and he's worshiping again. This is, this is man, this is great, because this is like a, um, um, a great teacher for you and I in recognizing when God works, kind of like what Sean was saying there. You recognize when God works, you recognize when he opened the door for you, he deserves the praise and the glory, right? Let's, let's, let's bring it all the way back down for, like this. Even if it's just, I mean, I know that's more personal than anything else, but you know, church is an important thing, and I think in our society, people are uh, devaluing church also. It's, it's beginning to turn into uh, um, a place where it's more optional than anything else. And of course, you live in a free country, everything's optional. Everything is optional. But I, I want to stress that importance because when we come here, we not only engage in fellowship, which is enormously healthy, but we also engage in uh, the belief of the word in group faith is in operation. Do you realize that group faith is in operation right now? Amen. At this very moment, group faith is in operation. Your belief, my belief, their belief, everybody's belief is working together. That's group faith. I want to be in a place where group faith is operating. That's a good thing. That's healthy for us. But people are optionizing church and they're putting church on the back burner and some people are saying it's not that important anymore. And by doing that, we're literally taking those the, the worship and the things that we should be offering up to God and gathering together because we recognize where we come from, but yet it's being pushed away because they say it's not that important. It'd be almost like Solomon being gifted something, like wisdom, and him saying, appreciate it, and go and do whatever he wanted to do. That's, for me teaching my children growing up, I call that unthankfulness. If your kid does that to you, you're like, well, you spoiled thing. Then even I mean just a just a little a little thanks. You know when somebody's being appreciative to you, and you know when somebody shrugs you, don't you? You give somebody something, you can tell when somebody's appreciative. Don't you think God knows that? Don't you think God recognizes when you truly are thankful for what you've been given, or when we just pass by and say appreciate it and go on our way? God knows the difference. Believe me, He knows. All right, running out of time. Got just a little bit uh, left. Let's go to section three. God-given wisdom on display. Solomon's God-given ability to rightly govern the people was put to the test in 1 Kings 3, 16-22. Two prostitutes claimed motherhood over the same baby, and no witnesses could attest to the truth. In this tragic situation, one woman had already lost a son, and the other was in danger of losing hers as well. The fact that the women were prostitutes demonstrated that Solomon would act on behalf of the lowest members of society, which says a lot about his kingdom, it really does. Indeed, the scripture does not speak to the morality of the situation, even though prostitution was a sin. And I'm going to make a point on that because I like the way the scriptures do that because you could have, they could have said, well, you shouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. But what it's pointing out is how important justice is and a justice system and having somebody at the top that can make good decisions to lead us in the right direction. It's vitally important. From the top, let's look at it like this. From the top, which we, we could say, uh, president. And let's just start going down. And it comes all the way down to the way you govern your family in your own home. I truly believe that who you have leading your nation is a reflection of the strength of the family. 
because that's the system. That's the way it's worked out. And if it operates like that, then if we are getting something that we are unhappy with or something seems out of place and it's like, what is going on here? Let's go back to the strength of the family and let's find out where our families are at. And are we governing our own families correctly? Because if the family is governed well and the family is strong and the mother and father are teaching the children well, then that's going to reflect who's leading this nation all the way up the ladder. Something to consider. This was an issue of justice, which all classes of Israel citizens deserved. Solomon would have to pass judgment on a case that seemed impossible to rightly discern. How could he be sure which woman was truly the child's mother? Solomon called for a sword and likely a professional swordsman. Then he commanded, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman, half to the other. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? This was a, how do I say it? You think, well, what kind of a decision is that? Well, it, it's not actually, it's a decision, but it was a test and it was a flusher. We're going to flush out the real mom. We're going to flush out the fake mom. That's what it was designed to do. That's wisdom, church. In his godly wisdom, Solomon knew the true mother would identify herself, and this is what happened. The actual mother immediately offered to give up the child to save his life. The other woman, perhaps motivated by grief, bitterness, or even cruelty, called for the child to be killed so neither woman would have a son. It's obvious what's going on here. She lost her son, and there was probably some history between the two of them, because I'm pretty sure they were, they were in the same house together. And because of that history, and because of maybe some past issues, she wanted bad for her, too. And so, I mean, you've got you to think, what's your motive for stealing someone else's child to start with? And he knew that. He knew, well, what kind of mother would steal another person's child? It's like, well, let's do this, and I think it'll, I think it'll bring the real person to life, and it did. That's godly wisdom. Solomon decreed that the child be returned to his true mother. This amazing resolution solidified the people's admiration for the king. God's wisdom worked in and through Solomon, and God will give us empowerment and direction as we serve him. We would do well to seek his wisdom for our lives today. Amen. So I'll leave you with this as we close. There are areas in everybody's life that need an extra dose of wisdom. What is that for you? Where do you need that wisdom? Is it in your, is it in your relationship with your spouse? Is it, with, is it in the relationship with your children? Maybe your church people? Is it in your job? Is it in some hard decisions that you're faced with right now that could change everything that you do? Everybody in here has got decisions that need to be made. Not all of them will be made with wisdom. I hope that this lesson encourages you to stop for just a minute, not be emotional about what's about to take place in your life, but use wisdom. Regardless of how you feel, pray about it, and ask God to lead you. We're out of time. God bless you guys. Thank you.